This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the Mavs Court Report with your host, Larry Elise. Join us every Friday night as we dive into the latest news and headlines surrounding your Dallas Mavericks. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms. Welcome to the Mavs Court Report. I'm your host, Larry Elise. And on today's episode, we're diving into the latest headlines from around the Dallas Mavericks. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Game Time, for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking for the best place to find tickets to your next Mavericks game or any sporting event, check out Game Time today. Use the link in the description. You can help support the channel. Now on to our first topic. Three things learned from the Dallas Mavericks loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers beat down the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday, 105-90 in Dallas in the first matchup between the two teams this season. Donovan Mitchell led all the scorers with 34 points, including 25 in the first half. Every single Cavalier starter scored in double digits. Luka led the Mavericks with 30 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. While a deficit hovered between 12 to 18 points for the majority of the game, the Mavericks were never truly in it. They started the first quarter in a dreadful 16-2 hole, and while they showed some spurts of life afterward, they only got the game in single digits once in the second half for about one possession. Dallas clearly missed both Maxi Kleber and Josh Green as the Mavericks' energy level was anemic at times. Defensively, there were a ton of breakdowns near the basket that you can only imagine might have been cleaned up if Kleber and Green were available. Unfortunately, the Mavericks are back down to 500, and the schedule isn't letting up, with games against Portland and Cleveland again before the weekends. So these are our observations. Starting off, the talent gap in this game was undeniable. Cleveland is one of the best teams in the league, and their 18-11 record has somehow gone under the table due to how great Boston and Milwaukee are. But the Cavs are good. Very good. The talent disparity between the two squads were noticeable right from the tip. Cleveland jumped out to a 16-2 lead, and the Cavaliers lineup is just stacked with talent to the bottom. If you ranked the players that played in this game, you'd rank Luka 1, and then when you would, when would you get to the next Mavericks player? 7? 8? 9? Cleveland has the advantage, of course, of spending multiple years near the bottom of the standings after LeBron James left for a second time, allowing them to acquire talented players with top 10 picks like Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, the Cavs, and expertly used other assets to acquire Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen. This is a complete squad. Does this, ex- does this excuse the poor energy level the Mavericks had for a majority of the first half? Certainly not, but this was a measuring stick game for the Mavericks, and they didn't pass. Dallas has a ways to go to build their roster to a comparable level. After the lackluster first half, 
Jason Kidd made some substantial lineup changes to start the second half. Out was Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith, and in was Christian Wood and Reggie Bullock. It was one of the first times I can remember Finney-Smith not starting a half while healthy in a long, long time. Kidd clearly wanted Bullock on the floor to start the half to slow down Mitchell, who cooked the Mavericks for 25 points in the first half. It sort of worked, too. Bullock almost faced guarded Mitchell for most of the second half, and Mitchell only scored nine second-half points. Too bad the Mavericks couldn't contain Mitchell's teammates. Wood provided a big offensive punch, nailing four three-pointers and scoring 20 points. Unfortunately, as the second half lagged on, Wood's defensive problems showed up as the Cavaliers continually got good looks around the rim as the Mavericks' rotations with Wood on the floor were slow and late. Even with mixed results, it felt significant. Powell and Finney-Smith have been rocks in the Mavericks lineup for years. Could this be a sign of Kidd about to mix things up? We'll see later this week. Tim Hardaway Jr. is cooling off. After Tim Hardaway Jr.'s outrageous five-game stretch where he drilled 33-pointers, Hardaway has come back down to earth in the last four games. Hardaway has shot a combined 11-35 from three in the last four games, and the Mavericks are 1-3 in those games. Dallas needs Hardaway to be consistent from three for them to win games. Let us know your thoughts in the comments section below. As always, hit that subscribe button. Give us that thumbs up if you like your videos. And hit the bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And now on to our next topic. The Kemba Walker sign shows nothing has changed for Dallas. Facing a lack of a third ball handler on the roster, the Dallas Mavericks turn to Kemba Walker. The former All-Star isn't what he once was, but the Mavericks don't need that. They just need a competent point guard to eat minutes when Luka and Spencer Dinwiddie sit, miss games, or get injured. It's a problem they faced this whole season. Worse, it's a problem of their own creation. Having to scramble to find someone who can dribble a quarter into the season is emblematic of the casual and haphazard way the Mavericks operate. After Dallas went on a miracle run to the Western Conference Finals last season, the one question mark going into the offseason was the status of Jalen Brunson. He was a key part of the Mavericks' attack, and they had no obvious replacement on the roster. No matter, because after the Mavericks fell to the Golden State Warriors, Mark Cuban proclaimed the Mavericks could pay Brunson more than anybody. I think he wants to stay, and that's most important. That turned out to be not the case. Just two months later, Cuban had changed his tune, telling the Dallas Morning News, quote, It's weird because we kind of knew it was happening. There was a whole confluence of issues coming along. After we got eliminated from the playoffs, and then there's hint after hint after hint. So by the time it happened, we knew he had already broken up with us. And so it was just a matter of who else he was going to start dating. It wasn't like, oh no, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. It was, okay, it's coming. Based on that statement, it seems that Dallas had a good idea that Brunson, their best playmaker besides Luka, was leaving as early as June. Despite this, they saw no reason to find a replacement for him. They felt his replacement was already on the roster. Nico Harrison echoed the sentiment at the start of training camp, telling the guys he was happy with the roster. That's probably the reason they passed on signing Goran Dragic for the veteran minimum, despite him fitting an obvious need. The Mavericks saw him as riding the bench and providing good vibes, not actually playing, and he wasn't interested. Dallas made it a week into training camp before they realized what everyone who watched them last season knew. Both uh, apologies for saying this guy's name wrong. Nik 
Kina and Green could be their third string point guard, so they signed Campazzo. It's safe to say his phone was a ringing off the hook with offers. By November 15th, Jason Kidd admitted the Mavericks still only had two ball handlers on the roster, and Campazzo was barely playing. Now, Walker is here as a solution to a problem that Mavericks refused to admit they had. There was time to find a quality third-string playmaker using their taxpayer mid-level exception. They chose to target JaVale McGee instead, even though they already had plenty of big-man depth. Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, and Christian Wood provided enough firepower to play the Maverick style. A style that powered them past centers like Rudy Goldberg, DeAndre Ayton, and ironically enough, McGee in the playoffs last season. Now, McGee can't get on the floor this season, reminiscent of how he couldn't stay on the floor for the Suns when they faced the Mavericks in the postseason last year. And the Mavericks are cycling through free agent point guards. There seems to be a lack of vision for this franchise, despite having a generational player on the roster. It's nothing new, though. This dysfunction is the way Cuban wants things to be. He came up in the dot-com startup area, which was pure chaos. He thinks organizations thrive this way and runs the Mavericks as such. The Mavericks aren't looking any different under Nico Harrison than they have the last 20 years, because Cuban is still neck deep in the process. Cuban admitted to this in 2014, saying, I micromanage you until I trust you. It seems that he does not yet trust Harrison to guide the Mavericks any differently. I guess you can debate whether this intuitive gut feel swing for the fences method of running a franchise is the way to do it or not. But in the Luka era, it hasn't worked. There's still a chance to do things differently, but time is running out. Let us know your thoughts on the signing of Kemba Walker. Leave a comment in the comment section below. Now on to our next topic. We're going to look at the trade value of the Dallas Mavericks. Who has the highest trade value? Who has the lowest? Trades are coming. It's December 15th. And players who sign new contracts in the offseason can be traded as of today. That's when trade talks really heat up. More than likely, the Dallas Mavericks won't be making any season-altering trades this season. But in case they do, let's talk about the value of the players already on the roster. Here's how it works. These are going to be my subjective trade values of the players on the Mavericks based on how likely Dallas would be to move them this season. I calculated it by thinking about how much other teams would want a player versus how important they are to the Mavericks. Disagree? Post, um, post your list in the comments section below. Starting off, 17, JaVale McGee. The Mavericks made a large center a priority in this offseason, so they signed McGee and vowed to start him. That lasted a couple weeks before McGee was banished to the bench. Now he's not sitting the floor at all, and is on the books for two more years past this season. It's unlikely they can get off his salary without attaching a pick to it. Number 16, Theo Pinson. Pinson never plays and is on the roster to curate vibes. The Mavericks think that's important, but it's hard to see another team valuing that enough to swing a trade for him. 15. Kemba Walker Walker could absolutely contribute to the Mavericks on a nightly basis, if his knees are healthy. Nico Harrison went on live radio and expressed his doubts about that. So it's okay if you're pessimistic about Walker's signing, but betting on talent is always a good deal. Or a good idea, I should say. And it costs the Mavericks nothing. Number 14. I'm just going to go with uh, Frank N. There were some hopes that the Mavericks could find a better way to unlock the former New York Knicks lottery picks potential. But so far, Frank hasn't shown that he can contribute to the Mavericks. And it seems like he's destined to head back to Europe to finish up his basketball career. 
Number 13, McKinley Wright. There's some potential with Wright, but obviously the Mavericks don't think he's ready to get run in the NBA. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed Walker. Still, Wright could fill in as a third-string point guard in an emergency, and that's something. Number 12, Davis Bertrands. There's a slim possibility that some team could be interested in Bertrands' shooting, but they have to be desperate. Uh, hello, Los Angeles Lakers? Hmm. His contract isn't great, but it's movable and can be used to make the money work on a bigger deal. Number 11, Tyler Dorsey. I doubt the Mavericks could get anything for Dorsey right now. If he was valuable enough to trade for a first-round pick or playoff-capable wing, he'd be on a roster right now. He is Tim Hardaway Jr. Insurance, though, in case the Mavericks find a way to move off of Hardaway's contract. Number 10, Christian Wood. What could the Mavericks get for Wood on the trade market? They gave up a first-round pick and salary filler for him. There's no reason to think Dallas could get the same in return. And in fact, at this point, might get less. Would it be worth moving Wood for a second-round pick? I could see him adding value as a piece in a bigger trade. Hmm. Number nine, Reggie Bullock. Bullock is the type of player every playoff team needs when he's actually hitting shots from deep. So far this season, he hasn't done that. The Mavericks need him because they aren't deep when it comes to guys who can play defense and make shots from behind the arc. But if they can get something of value for him and think Josh Green can replicate his minutes, they should do the trade. Number eight, Jaden Hardy. A promising young player, Hardy isn't much more than ideal right now. He's doing exactly what's needed by putting up big numbers in the G League and impressing in short stints with the Mavericks. That's all he needs to do to keep his value high. Number seven, Dwight Powell. Powell has become the Thanos of Mavericks roster construction. He's inevitable. Powell isn't valuable in the sense that he would vault a promising contender into favorite status, but every team in the league could use a player like him, whether they're a contender or in the middle of a rebuild. He does what he's asked to do and does it reasonably well. Number six, Tim Hardaway Jr. Hardaway is tough to gauge on the trade market. Another team could use him since shooting is always a need. Hardaway has been a difference maker for the Mavericks in several wins over the last 10 days. But as we've seen, his shooting comes and goes like the wind. It might be the best to sell high while they can. Number five, Spencer Dinwiddie. With a contract that's a bit of an overpay for his production, Dinwiddie's market is probably cool, but the Mavericks could trade him in the right situation. Considering their guard situation now, they'd have to get someone who's a competent playmaker back though. Anything otherwise would derail this season even further. That makes them pretty hard to trade as of now. Number four, Josh Green. Green has progressed quite a bit from last year's postseason when he was close to unplayable. Now he's got a consistent three-point shot, albeit on a low volume of attempts, and plays solid defense. His passing is electric. He's still a project, but one with an upward trajectory now. A team in the middle of a rebuild or on the cusp of playoff contention would probably love to have him on the roster. The Mavericks swing a trade for a superstar next offseason, Green will more than likely have to be included in the package. Number three, Maxi Kleber. Versatility heightens ceilings in the playoffs, and Kleber offers just that. His ability to defend in the paint and on the perimeter, as well as shoot, makes him valuable to any playoff team. His shooting can be streaky, though, and his body has trouble holding up over a full season. Because of this, in his age, it's tough to see the Mavericks getting anything close to the value he brings to Dallas. Number two, Dorian Finney-Smith. 
Finney Smith is a tough trade target to discuss. In a vacuum, he's extremely tradable. He's a decent 3 and D wing who rebounds exceptionally well. But he's limited offensively, and his best defense days are probably behind him. The Mavericks could never get equal value for Finney Smith. He wouldn't fetch a player better than he already is, and yet no team is going to trade a valuable draft pick for him. Considering his role and what he would bring back, he's the Mavericks' second most valuable player. And number one, of course, is Luka. Who would the Mavericks actually swap for Luka? The list ends at Giannis... I'm not even going to try to say his last name. And even then, he's a few years older than Luka. It's possible if you want to go with Luka's youth, despite Giannis's overwhelming athleticism and skill... Some might make a case for Jason Tatum, and I couldn't argue, but Luka is as close to untradeable as it gets. So yes, let us know your thoughts in the comments section below. What is your rankings? Let us know. And next topic, how the Mavericks can keep Christian Wood beyond this season. And we're going to talk about it. Now that the Mavericks have acquired a young starting center in Christian Wood, the next question is about how to keep him around. Here are the different ways the Mavericks can keep Christian Wood beyond this season. Starting off, re-sign him in 2023. When his contract expires next summer, Christian Wood will be an unrestricted free agent. The Mavericks will have full bird rights so they can offer all the way to the max if they desire. This is good because the Mavericks won't have any cap space. Bird rights allow that not to matter. Contract extension. Players are eligible to extend their contracts after the two-year anniversary of them signing the contract. He signed his three-year deal November 24th, 2020. So it seems like he'd have to wait till November, but I think it will come much sooner. The league has been adjusting year anniversaries with the on-timing in the last two seasons and off-seasons. So I believe the November 24th, 2020 two-year anniversary will actually hit sometime in July or August at the latest. Whenever that date passes, the Mavericks will be able to offer him an extension. When a player is traded, the team acquiring them has limitations as to what extension they can offer for the first six months after that trade. The, the extend and trade rules limit how long the extension can be and how big the raises can be. The limit is three seasons, including the years still on the contract. We saw a max extension under the extend and trade rules with Jonas V and the Pelicans in the 2021 offseason. He got extended at the most the Pelicans could offer. The Pelicans took his 2021 contract and gave him a max 5% bump on that for his 2022-23 year and gave the max 5% raise for the next season. After the Mavericks wait out the six months following the trade, they'll be able to extend him up to five years in the future, including the one year left on his contract. So they'd be able to give him four new years on his deal. This would give Christian Wood a 20% raise on his 2022-23 salary and allow for larger 8% raises on the subsequent three seasons. That works out to a max extension of four years of 76, almost $77 million. This is what the max extension the Mavericks can offer when six months will have passed from when the trade was made official. And now on to our next topic. Mavericks odds. What's hitting, what's not? Betting on the Mavericks has been volatile this far. As the season has just eclipsed the one-third mark, trends have begun to form. A more clear look into who teams are, are is materializing, 
as well as player roles becoming more defined. As a result of this, being able to predict what will happen is a bit easier, and more interestingly, data is starting to support the betting side of the games. The Dallas Mavericks are a team that seemingly could win or lose on any given night, making them a difficult choice to bet on. Despite this, the Mavericks have had some real trends throughout the first third of the 2022-2023 season. To make your betting life a little less stressful, here is what has been cashing and what has been burning money through the first 28 games. Starting off, our hit, Luka, first quarter points. Luka leads the league in first quarter scoring, 11.5 points per uh, per first quarter. He plays the entirety of the period, so the volume is always there. On average, he attempts eight shots with three free throws on almost 62% true shooting. After a fairly sizable sample of this, it is safe to take Luca's first quarter points when the line is at 10.5 or less every time. Miss, Mavericks to cover. Dallas is currently 8-18-2 against the spread this season, covering at a rate of about 29%. This has a lot to do with Dallas's poor performance against sub-500 teams, as they have failed to cover all but one time. They played down to their competition, and their record against the spread shows it. Stay away from the spread for the foreseeable future. Hit over the points total. Dallas's games have hit over the p- points total in 17 of their 28 games this season, or 61%. Out of the 11 games that went under, 6 were against teams in the top 12 in defensive rating. The other five included Dallas's loss to Orlando in their weird 98-97 loss to a severely undermanned Denver team. If the Mavericks are playing someone outside of the top 10 or so in defensive rating, the point total is almost a lock. Miss Reggie Bullock. Points and rebounds and assists. Bullock's struggles early have been well documented and not out of the ordinary. Every season of his career, he has shot poorly until December, and the trend continued this year. He's gone over 9.5 points, plus rebounds, plus assists, only 11 at 27 times, until Bullock proves that he can bounce back once again and possibly get more minutes after being benched. Betting on him is futile. Hit Spencer Dinwiddie for assists. Dinwiddie is averaging 5.3 assists per game this season, and his prop is normally around 4.5 or 5 when Luka plays. After Dallas played Luka off Baltimore against Oklahoma City. Dinwiddie displayed his ability to distribute at a high volume. He had 10 assists against the Thunder, 7 against the Cavaliers yesterday, and the high end of 5 assists should be expected from him going forward. If his prop is ever at 5 or below, it should be added to your parlay. Let us know your thoughts on the topics we covered. Is there something we should have covered that we missed? Let us know. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a thumbs up if you like our video or a thumbs down if you don't. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. This has been the Mavs Court Report with your host, Larry Lees. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And be sure to subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts from. Until next Friday, go Mavs.